Let's turn over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 today, we'll use that as a kind of a springboard to get things kicked off. And um, like I say, I, uh, I'm excited today. There's a number of uh, good reasons why I do what I do, and I know there's a number of reasons why you do what you do. And as a church, we do certain things for reasons as well. And I'm just going to share you some wonderful blessings in my life. Obviously, you probably, many of you, experience the same blessings uh, as far as what I'm going to share today. But, uh, boy, what a tremendous God we serve. And uh, I just want to, I guess, brag on him a little bit today. And so let's go ahead and begin reading here in Luke chapter 10, though, as we begin this message as we, uh, for our faith promise uh, finish of our Faith Promise Conference. Of course, it started last Sunday and went through Wednesday. We took a break a few days, and today we wrap everything up now for our Missions Conference, and uh, that's why we're excited to see such a great group here this morning as we finish up our Faith Promise Missions Conference. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. Notice what the Bible says. It says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? It's a good question, isn't it? I don't think any of us would have a real hard time answering it, would we? Unless we were one of those that passed him by. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Notice it says there early on in the passage, a certain man went down to Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. A certain man. You notice there's no names given there. It's a certain man. And I I look at that and I think that could be me. That could be you. That could be uh, my wife, my children. That could be one of my family, my friends. A certain man went and fell among thieves. And then we see what the Bible calls the priest. The priest comes along. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He saw that man hurting and in need of help. And when he recognized there was somebody there laying by the roadside, he crossed the street and he made his way down the road. He's a priest. He's a man of God. There's a Levite even. He comes along and again he sees the man. Oh, he may have gotten a little closer. We don't know for sure, but it's possible he may have even looked at him and, oh my, he's in desperate shape. I'm out of here. He crosses the street and makes his way down the road. And then all of a sudden there comes a Samaritan. The Samaritan people were basically the offspring of both the Assyrian captivity and the Israelites. And as a result, they were 
very, they were looked upon as being very wicked and sinful. They were considered to be very low, so to speak, on the social uh, network, if you will. And they were not accepted and they were rather rejected. And yet, here they are now. Here they are. This Samaritan. This man who everyone else thinks is a nobody, a nothing, a big zero, a, a, a moral failure, so to speak. He comes along and sees the same man the priest saw, the same man the Levite saw, and instead of walking on the other side and going down the street, neglecting and forgetting all about him, he stops and he raises him up, binds his wounds and takes him to an inn and pays for his stay until he can be better. That's amazing. You know, somebody probably showed that Samaritan kindness in his life. Somebody probably one day along the line said, you know, you look like you're hurting. You look like you need some help. You look like maybe you're having a rough time in life. Let me give you a hand. And when he saw that man, he thought, you know what? I know what it's like to be there. I know what it's like. I certainly appreciate the person who stopped for me that day, who helped me. And he binds his wounds and he takes him off and gives him shelter and food and clothing. This morning, I want to share some reasons why I give to Faith Promise Missions. Just hold those thoughts, because we'll get back to them probably at the end. If we don't, that'll be all right. But number one, let me tell you some things. Here's why I give to Faith Promise Missions. Because I'm saved. Because I'm saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, it was in uh, 2005, January, that I really settled my salvation. Oh, I'd been what I thought saved, and maybe I was saved. I don't know. One day in heaven, I'll get back up to the, the glory there. And, and as a 12-year-old boy, I remember walking an hour and asking Christ into my heart, you know. I remember doing that. It's no doubt about it. It's as clear as a day to me in my memory. But there was something wrong in my life. And through, for, through the course of years, I found myself doubting and doubting and doubting from time to time. Not often, not very often at all. Just every once in a great while. And then all of a sudden, as I grew into the ministry and as the church began to grow, things didn't went away. I was saving people. I was leading them to Christ. I was preaching the gospel. And I really, in my life, I remember walking that out at the Ellet Baptist Temple. Then I was 12 years old. I remember walking right down, right where I sat, uh, nailed at the altar. I remember the poor, horrid breath of the man who led me to Christ. I do. By the way, if you're going to lead people to Christ, at least let your breath be decent. It really distracted the life out of me. And to this day, I remember it. I don't know who it was. It wasn't the pastor. I know that. So you can't knock pastors. But what I do know is that I made that way down there and I, I, I invited Christ to my life. Hold on a second, though. There was something that wasn't right. For years, I went on. I had no doubt. I remember being in the military. I, I wasn't always perfect like maybe you aren't. And I could have been very easily tempted to say, oh, I'm not saved, obviously. But I never doubted that I was saved to some degree. Yet every once in a while, there were the haunting thoughts. There was this deep feeling in the pit of my stomach that I just might burn in hell. I couldn't shake it. Every once in a great while. It wasn't often. I remember pastoring and preaching. Someone came to me after I'd made a profession of faith in 2005, in January the 16th. And they said, Do, were you lying to us all those years? Not at all was I lying. I believe everything I said. And I said, here's the one thing you can rest assured. If I could do what God did with me, unsaved, can you imagine what God's going to do now that I'm saved? 
That's all. I don't understand how it all happened. But what I do remember is, finally, after the church had grown a number of people, I still remember uh, in a service, a youth service even, a youth service, after a skit, I would pray, oh God, oh God, save these young people. Oh God, don't let them die and go to hell. And all of a sudden, that feeling came back, just like that in the pit of my stomach. And it said, no, what about me? And the Lord said, you need to settle it. You need to deal with that right now. And I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. I remember laying in my bed so many times at night. Lord, I know how to get saved. You just need to call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. I know that Jesus Christ died on Calvary, was buried and rose again. I know all the answers. Lord, oh, save me if I'm not saved. If I'm not saved as I lay here in my bed, save me. Oh, if I'm not saved, save me. Show me right now. I'll go ahead. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Lord, I believe you died and rose again. Lord, come into my heart. Save me. Take me to heaven when I die. And then I still had it. And I knew something that many people never ever figure out. I was honest enough to know that God wanted me to do it publicly. You say, but, 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 but that'd be embarrassing. <laughs> you know what? I got to the point. I, 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 put, it behi- I put it behind me. I, I know what the Bible says. I did that. I did that. But I couldn't shake it. Finally, finally, 2005, January, I'm sitting in a service right over there, a youth service, the best youth in our church, so to speak, if you will. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, but we used to have a group, and they were separated teenagers. They were godly teenagers as much as they could possibly be. We had our youth leaders there. My wife, my family was there. That's it. The, the, so to speak, the cream of the crop of the youth and some of their, their workers and everybody, and all of a sudden, here's the preacher. Did anybody get saved on this side? Brother O'Donnell, who got saved in your church? I did. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this. When God told me, you deal with it, I knew right then, the devil don't tell you to get saved. The devil don't do that. He may try to get you to doubt, but he'll never tell you to get saved. Listen, you go ahead. You say, well, I got those nagging doubts. I, can't, I, I think I settled it, and I lay in bed just like you did, and it never goes away. Every once in a great while, I'm good for months at a time, preacher, and then all of a sudden it just hits me one day when you're preaching, or after the altar call starts, and I go, ugh. Yeah, that's, that was me. It could be months. Sometimes it was as much as six months. But I couldn't shake it. 2005, January the 16th, Pastor O'Donnell. No, take that back. Mark O'Donnell. I didn't go up there as a pastor. I went up there as a man. And you know what? You're not going to get saved because you're a dad or you're a mom or because you're such and such or you're a Sunday school teacher or you're a pastor's wife or you're a pastor's a staff wife. No, no, you don't, you don't go up to God. You don't ever meet God where you stand. You meet him where he stands. And I remember walking that aisle and I remember taking the youth director and handing him the Bible. And I said, uh, I, he said, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? I said, I'm coming up here to get saved. He said, but, I said, here, we all know how to do this thing. I've said I've done it a million times. I've a number of people to Christ. So have you. It's no big deal. Open the Bible up. I said, let's just Romans 3, uh, 10, uh, just read Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Just read it. Just open it up. Read it to me real quick. I said, I just want you to be a part of this. He read it to me. I, I bowed my head. I settled it right there on the spot. Amen. Can I tell you something? I have not, listen to me, listen to me. I've never doubted it one time since. Amen. Not one time since. Not one time since. Not one time since. You people say, oh, you got to have doubts. Everybody has doubts. I don't. I don't. I made an adult decision that day. I wasn't no 12-year-old boy anymore walking out. Now, in heaven one day, is it possible, or likely even, probably, that that snap across the screen and 
When did Mark O'Donnell get saved? There it is. 12-year-old boy. That's quite possible. As a matter of fact, to this day, I'm not so sure that that won't happen. I really am not. Because I've seen evidence of God in my life. I promise you that. However, what I do know is, as of January the 16th, 2005, I have never doubted it. Never doubted it. Settled. But you know what I had to do, don't you? I had to go walk that aisle. I knew, God to, I, knew I had to walk that aisle. Couldn't do it secret. I've done it too many times secretly. I had to walk that aisle. Say, God, save me. I'm not asking you to reassure me. I'm asking you to save me as of today. No reassurance, God. Just save me. Settle it. It's over. I did that, and on Sunday I got baptized. I got baptized. I preached a message on my testimony that morning, and I think it was 44 other people walked the aisle and got saved. Got in that water. You would have not believed the baptistry that day. You say, because there were so many people in it? No, there was no water in it. We were trying to fill it as we're doing it. Some, for some reason, the water leaked out in the afternoon. I got baptized in the morning so I could baptize everybody in the evening. And so here we are baptizing people and sometimes not even two foot of water. Right? I mean, fortunately, I'm built like the Hulk. But outside of that, we'd have been in real trouble. I'd have had to have at least three or four men help me if it wasn't for my physique. But nonetheless, we got that handled. Now, hold on. I'm thankful today. I'm grateful that I'm saved. I'm telling you. I'm so glad I'm saved today. I cannot tell you how happy I am. Every time I lay my head on the pillow, I rest. Why? Because I know I'm going to heaven. I don't doubt it and I don't ever wonder anymore. I'm so happy I'm saved. I'm, I'm saved. Number two, because I have an eternal home in heaven. I have an eternal home in heaven. Listen, in John 14, 1 through 3, you know it. You probably have heard it a million times. If you don't have it memorized, you'll recognize it more than likely. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And I am so glad today that I have a home in heaven. Not only do I have that promise, can you turn the air on if it's not on? Not only do I have that home, that, that promise, but I also have, I also have this promise in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen now, here it is, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved. In heaven for you. Oh man, I got me a reservation. And not only that, but he goes on to say, who are kept by the power of God. I'm kept by God's power. It's not by my own ability, or by my own effort, or by my own uh, uh, deeds or doings. No, it's simply by God's power. It's His salvation, and I'm secure in it. Man, I'm going to heaven. I've got a home up there. I'm saved, and I'm on my way to heaven. I'm thankful. Number three, because I'm grateful, I just said it, (laughs) for God's blessings in my life. Man, I can't tell you how much God's blessed me in my life. I look at my beautiful wife, I look at my children, I consider my family, I think about this ministry, the church and the friends and the family here at this ministry. Listen, you, you are a family to me. 
I, I can't explain what God has done through the ministry and through my home and family. I can't tell you the joy, the peace, and the purpose God gives me. I'm content with what God's given me. Oh, I have a holy dissatisfaction at times when we don't reach out like we should and we don't have a number saved and the baptistry waters aren't stirred like they ought to be lately. I do have a holy dissatisfaction about those things. But let me tell you something. This preacher, this pastor, this person is blessed. I'm so happy. He says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Well, I'm thankful today. Thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for that home in heaven. I'm thankful for the family and the, the wife and children God's given. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for this ministry. I'm thankful for so many things. So many things. I'm thankful my back's not hurting this morning. Last night I was hurting. I mean, I was hurting. I couldn't even get, I was having a hard time getting in and out of bed. You remember that? That's how hard I work. <laughs> I'm telling you what, man, we were at that carousel, and I think it caught up to me, fellas. I was doing pretty good yesterday, but you know what? The older I get, it seems like it's two days later. Man, last night, I was like, oh. I rolled out of bed. I mean, I had to roll. I was like, oh. That was about the speed of my roll. And I finally got out, and I made my way to the restroom, and I can still, oh. I mean, it was rough. I woke up this morning still hurting a little bit. Took me some Advil. Well, the fake Advil. And so, it's a lot cheaper than the real. But anyway, I took some of that fake Advil. It's supposed to still be good for you, they say. But anyway, I took it. seemed to help. I rubbed this stuff on it. My wife got it over there at the flea market. Ooh. I felt better. I started, mm, mm. I rolled into bed. I was okay to get in. At least I felt like I could get into a position. I got into the best position I could. Fell asleep. Woke up the next day. This morning, and oh, I was like, oh, it's still stiff. Got out. I was like, oh, I don't feel any pain. None at all. Thank the Lord, okay? Thank the Lord. It's that chiropractor I went to this morning. But anyway, <laughs> I feel great. But nonetheless, the Lord, he did. He helps me. I'm blessed. I'm thankful. And I'm grateful. Number four, because I want to please God. Because I want to please God and make Him rejoice. Why do I give the faith promise mission? Because I want to please God and make Him rejoice. He's made me so happy, I want to make Him happy. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, the Bible says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Joy, get this, in the presence of the angels. Guess where, who they're ministering to? Yes. They're ministering to God. They're ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ. There they are in the midst. And in the midst of those angelic hosts, there's joy when one soul gets saved. Every time one of our missionaries, every time a soul winner, every time somebody in this church or those that we send out into a world lead someone to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ smiles. And He's happy. And He rejoices. I want to do that. I can't do anything for God, but I can make Him rejoice. I can't help him with his finances. He already owns everything. I can't help him with his health. He'll never have a bad day. I can't help him with any social or political or economic issue by any stretch of the imagination. But I can make him rejoice when a soul is led to Christ, when someone's reached with the gospel. Man, I want to do that. So I give to Faith Promise Missions. Finally, number five. Oh, it's not over after this. Don't worry about it. You was getting nervous. You thought, well, we're going to end really early today. <laughs> we are going to end early, but not that early. Number five, because I want others to have what I have, 
and experience what I experience. That's why I give the Faith Promise Missions too. I want others to have what I have and experience what I have experienced. Hudson Taylor sailed from chi- for China, excuse me, he sailed for China on September the 19th, 1853. He had not even finished his medical studies yet, but he still made his way to China. He had a goal and a desire to reach the people of China. And he ministered to these Chinese people. It was a very difficult job, a tough job. In those days, foreigners were only allowed into China's... They were not allowed into China's interior. They were only permitted to work in the five Chinese ports where ships would come in and out. So if if you weren't a, a national, you were not permitted inland, if you will. You could only stay in those five ports. Well, that created a real problem for Hudson. He was burdened for those millions and millions of Chinese people who had never heard of Christ. And so trusting God to supply his needs, Hudson dressed like a Chinese man. He even attached one of those pigtails to his head. You know how they show in the movies? Back in the 1850s, it was, always, it was like that. He attached one of those. He looked the part. He acted the part. He ignored all the political restrictions, and he traveled along the island of the inland canals. And there he preached the gospel to people, risking his own life. It was during the midst of that... Uh, those weeks that Hudson, Hudson met and married his, his wife, Maria Dreyer, Dyer, excuse me, Maria Dyer. She was the daughter of a preacher. And it wasn't long after he was married that he grew seriously ill. So ill that he had to depart from China and go back and recover from his illness. He took his wife, he took his new daughter back home to England where he began to recover. He was very discouraged, of course, because there was tremendous opportunity beginning to open up in China at that time. But as he was home, as he began to recover, he also had opportunity to speak to a number of pastors. And he began to realize and recognize the advantage of his situation. He was able to complete his medical studies, revise a Chinese New Testament, and organize the China Inland Missions. He was determined, I mean determined, to penetrate into places into China where he was not permitted, where no foreigner had ever gone. He wanted to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when his health improved, Hudson took his family and he headed back to China in 1866 with over a dozen new missionaries now. With this newfound determination, this new zeal, came unrelentless attack, though. Sufferings and hardships began to multiply. I mean, Hudson's daughter died from water on the brain. His family was almost murdered in the Yang Chow riot of 1868. And Maria, his wife, died in childbirth. Nonetheless, that work continued and prospered under his leadership. By 1895, the mission had 641 missionaries plus 462 Chinese helpers at 260 stations. China Inland Missions had supplied over half or supplied over half the missionary force in China now. That's amazing. And though success was sweet, it, it came at a great cost, great sacrifice. One of those examples of sacrifice was during the Boxer Rebellion of 1900. Fifty-six of those missionaries were martyred. And literally hundreds of Chinese Christians were killed. There's no doubt that God had 
his hand in Hudson Taylor's life and ministry. Not only did Hudson throw himself into God's work, but he also had an abounding faith in God and in God's faithfulness. His favorite text seemed to soothe his heart in the midst of those difficult times, and here it was. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, Hudson believed in God and in the work that he had been given. And you know what? More than anything else, you know what he wanted? This thing's cracking, isn't it? Driving me crazy. I can hear it. If I can hear it, I know you can. Here's what he wanted more than anything else. He wanted everyone to have a chance to experience the joy that he felt. He knew the joy of the Lord in his life. He had received Christ. He had experienced that newfound faith. He knew the transformation power of God and His Holy Spirit. He had the indwelling presence of Christ in his life. He wanted everybody to experience what he had experienced. You want to know something? It's one of the reasons I give to Faith Promise. I want everybody to know what I know. To experience what I experience. Let me close with a story about William Carey. William Carey is considered the father of modern missions. He was pastoring a small church in Moulton and he was continuing his shoe sales. He, was a sh- he made shoes and he would sell shoes. He did that obviously to meet the need of his family, to provide for himself and his home. But he got a real heart for unreached people in the world. So what he did, what Carey did is he went home and he He created a world map. And and he began to plot and to mark places where the gospel hadn't been preached. He then began to pray for those areas and those peoples. And he asked God, send laborers, God. Send laborers to the harvest. God, reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes the reason we don't pray is because we're afraid God will answer. And even more so, we're afraid he'll Use us. He prayed nonetheless. William Carey's convictions were settled one day when he read Reverend Andrew Fuller's declaration in his book. The book was the gospel worthy of all acceptation. Fuller made this statement. If it is the duty of all men to believe whenever the gospel is presented to them. Excuse me. It is the duty... If it is the duty of all men to believe whenever the gospel is presented to them, it must be the duty of all who have received the gospel to endeavor to make it universally known. Listen to what he said. Fuller made this statement in his book, The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptation. If it is the duty of all men to believe whenever the gospel is presented to them, do you believe that when a person hears the gospel, they ought to receive the gospel? Do you believe when Jesus Christ is delivered to them, the that they should accept Jesus Christ? Of course we believe that. We believe it's the duty of mankind to receive and accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to receive Him into their life as Savior. No doubt about that. Well, if that is the case, then it must be the duty of all who have received the gospel to endeavor to make it universally known. He says, therefore, it ought to be our job, those who have accepted, to make sure everybody else gets a chance and accepts it. One of the reasons I give to missions. 
Because everybody else ought to have the same opportunity I have. You, you, do you realize how lucky? Okay, let's take that back. It's not luck. <laughs> how blessed you are that God allowed you to be born in America. I don't, I, you, you don't have to agree with anything going on. You may not appreciate our government. You may not like the direction we're going. You may not appreciate anything about certain things. But let me tell you something. You ought to be extremely grateful you were born in America, if not for any other reason than this. You've had an opportunity to hear the gospel. You have an opportunity to go to church. You have an opportunity to express your faith. And you have an opportunity to grow in Christ. And, man, that is such a blessing. Do you know it's not like that around the world? It is not like that around the world. They don't have the same opportunities. Do you realize there are peoples of this world that have never, ever heard the gospel? They don't even have a Bible in their language? Listen, I believe today when I give to Faith Promise, what I'm really saying to when I give to missions is that I want the world to know what I know and have the opportunity to accept the one that I accepted and be saved the way I've been saved and to experience heaven the way I'll experience heaven. They have a right, I believe. And it is my duty... To reach the world with the gospel. Just like it's every Christian's duty. We are so blessed. Carrie was zealous. He was determined he was going to go and reach the unreached people. But he met with some ministers and he began to share with them his plans. And just because somebody's a minister doesn't mean that they always have the proper perspective or that they view things from the kind of positive outlook they ought to. Nonetheless, after expressing his convictions in a message, he was rebuked by a senior minister who made this statement. He said to young Carey, Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your help or mine. Can you imagine that? He'll do it without your help or mine. If he's going to be, if he's pleased to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. Can you imagine that? I stand up here today and go, folks, you needn't worry about the heathens in, in this country or in that country or over here or over. Don't worry about it. If God wants to save him, he'll do it. He don't need you. Where's that come out of the Bible? Is that in there? I'm just curious. I don't remember reading that part. And yet that was the mentality and attitude in his day. Those were the obstacles that William Carey faced as he sought to try to reach unreached people with the gospel around the world. William Carey would ultimately raise money. He would make his way to India where he would serve God. And Carey, Carey ultimately died in 1834. But when he did... There were in connection with the mission that he founded some 30 missionaries, 40 teachers, 45 stations and substations, and approximately 600 church members. In addition, one must remember, don't forget about this, this is important, he was the reason for forming the English Baptist Missionary Society. And because he formed that society, literally thousands and thousands of people have been reached by the gospel around the world. William Carey had a motto. Here was his motto. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And today we have an opportunity, don't we? You know, the simple faith of one man made a difference around the world. One man's faith 
made the difference around the world. God help us to recognize the potential that each and every one of us has. Hold on. If we will allow ourselves to get into the hand of God and be saturated by faith. God, do with me as you please. I believe. I believe. And God can do miracles with one man, one woman today, one young man, one young lady. He can do it. He did it with Carrie. He can do it with you. It's funny. We talked about Hudson Taylor. When he arrived in China, he was leading a man to Christ, and the man had come to Jesus Christ, and the question that he was asked was simply this, why didn't you come sooner? He didn't know what to say. The older man had studied with him for a number of days and had just readily accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. In fact, Hudson had been enjoying this man's eagerness. I mean, it was exciting for him to find somebody that was genuinely interested in the gospel and, and ultimately that trusted Christ as a Savior. But how could he answer this burning question? How would he answer it? He said, I could not come sooner. I could not come sooner. I mean, why didn't you come sooner? I could not come sooner. But how long have your people known this truth, the man said. He searched his mind for the right words, and they didn't seem to come. How could he say that we've known this truth for many centuries? Finally, he just blurted it out. We've known this truth for many centuries. The man's jaw dropped and his eyes winced. And all of a sudden his arms shot out and grabbed Hudson Taylor's shoulder very hard. And he said, my father's spent his whole life searching for this truth. He spent his whole life searching for this truth. And so have I. But you've known for centuries... Why didn't you come sooner? Folks, listen, they're out there. There are people that are searching. They're searching. Oh, we say even in America, oh no, nobody wants to hear the gospel today. You did. I mean, nobody's like you. You're that unique. You're that special, I see. Oh, I must be that unique and special too, because I'm here. Oh, so you mean everybody else out here, they don't want nothing to do with God, but we do. Uh-uh. They're out there. They don't even know what the need is sometimes. They don't know why they feel that emptiness or that void in their life. They don't know, but they have a need and they're searching for someone or something. I'd hate to get to heaven and think that someone could have or would have been saved if only they would have heard. I want to be a part of that. I want to make sure they get their chance too. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except... They be sent. I wonder which of us today will be neighbor. 
to those around the world. I mean, neighbor to those who spiritually have fallen among thieves, been stripped of their raiment and wounded and left for dead. I wonder who of us will be neighbor. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place. Lord, I pray that, Father, you'd be glorified in our midst. Father, you know the business at hand, but, Father, more than that, we know that there's a world in need of Christ. Just in our own lives, we need to be very aware that our family, our friends, our neighbors, fellow workers, students, are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that heaven is real, hell is real, that, Father, you do sit on a throne, and that the Lord Jesus died on a cross, and that he rose again the third day. Help us, Lord to see the need for everyone to hear the gospel, not just to give of our finances, but to give of ourselves to reaching those around us. For we give our finances because we can't necessarily go to China, but we can send someone else to go with the gospel so that they too have the same opportunity, same privilege that we have to hear and to obey the gospel. Father, bless us now in this time of invitation. Lord, maybe in our midst, there's somebody that doesn't even know for sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. With every head bowed now and every eye closed, I wonder, let me ask you a question. Is God's there in heaven listening to every word that we're saying anyway? I wonder today, would you be honest enough in your heart of hearts to answer this question? If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Have you settled it in your life? Can you go back to that time, that place, when you did indeed trust him and receive him and accept him as your Lord and Savior? Again, I'm not saying that the devil won't try to get you to doubt but if something inside saying you need to get saved, I'm telling you, settle it today. Don't wait. Don't put off the inevitable. You need Christ. You need to settle it. Like I said, I don't know. I don't know. When I get to heaven, will it be a 12-year-old boy? Or will it be a grown man that will shoot across the screen when I got saved? I can't say 100%, but what I do know on this life and in this earth Is that as of that date, I have settled it without doubt. Are you settled? Do you know you're saved on your way? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Somebody would say, preacher, I don't have that settled. I can't honestly say I remember a time or place when I trusted Christ. I don't have it dealt with. Pray for me right now. Pray for me. Anybody? Pray for me. Wouldn't it be terrible that we send missionaries around the world to lead people to Christ while there's people right in our midst that don't know? Listen, don't, don't let that be you. Hands may have gone up. I don't see real good anymore sometimes in distance. We're going to pray for those that may have raised hands. I don't know if they did or didn't. I'll be honest with you. I thought I might have seen one or two, but let me pray. Father, be with those that need Christ as their Savior and Lord. They have never settled their salvation, that don't have it nailed down. May they settle that today, even before they leave. Lord, we'll thank you for that and we'll praise you for it. And Lord, for the believer today, may we make up our minds today what you would have us to do by way of helping others to experience what we experience, to have what we have. We're so grateful. We're so thankful for what you've done for us, Lord. And even as that Samaritan, I'm sure, at some point had been shown mercy, now extends mercy. May we, too, extend the same mercy we've been shown. Well, thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed as the music plays. Folks are already at the altar. I don't know for sure I'm saved, though, preacher. Why don't you come see me right at the front? I don't have that one settled. 
You're welcome to go to an altar. If you go there, I'll assume you know Christ is your Savior. But if you don't have it settled today, you don't know for sure heaven's your home. You haven't accepted Christ into your life as Savior. You come see me. Just see me real quick. We'll get that settled.